It is a pleasure to be worshiping with you this morning. We have finished our series on Jonah, and today we will talk for one Sunday about Rahab, and next Sunday we'll talk about Josiah, and then our series on the story of the Old Testament folks will come to an end because it'll be Thanksgiving Sunday. And then after that is the first Sunday in Advent. Can you believe it? We're so close to celebrating Christmas together. And so we'll be looking at the story of Rahab this morning from Joshua chapter 2. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. The breathing, living, active word. I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you will fall fresh upon us this morning. May we, as we hear your word, be transformed, not just informed. In your holy and precious name, amen. Amen. I titled this morning's message, Faith in the Slums. And there was a, a man that I knew who is now a pastor, a very good friend of mine, who grew up on Pittsburgh's north side. And in the 80s and 90s, the north side was one of the most dangerous areas of Pittsburgh. It was rough. There was drugs and violence and gangs everywhere on the north side. And when he was a young man, he grew up on the north side. He lived on one of the most dangerous stretches of the north side of Pittsburgh, which wasn't too far from Allegheny Center Alliance Church, one of our churches that I worked at uh, for nine years before I came here. But this young man, he was attracted to the gospel. While he was living in this, this horrific, horrific neighborhood, a pastor lived down the street from him. And he decided, this pastor, that he was going to insert himself into one of the most dangerous areas of Pittsburgh to be a minister for the gospel. His car was stolen multiple times, but God continued to say, stay here. And he met with this young man began to tell this young man about the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is. And in the most dangerous and violent area, on the most dangerous and violent street of that time, a young man had faith. And God transformed that young man's life to where I said he is a pastor and a minister and doing great work on Pittsburgh's north side still to this day. A man I deeply love and a friendship that I cherish deeply. And I share that story because Rahab's story is similar, where she was in the slums of a city called Jericho. She was a, uh, a, a woman who had uh, an extremely encouraging faith for us as we look at her story. But faith in many ways in our day can be something that we just talk about that we just are informed about. We think intellectually about faith, but we don't live faith out. And so Rahab can give us encouragement on how we can have faith. Faith is more than mental assent. It is full commitment. It's not just something that we say, oh, I have faith. There's action. There's movement. There is commitment that comes alongside of faith. It is a full commitment, not just mental assent. So we look at Rahab's story, we will see that she was fully committed. And we'll see the answer to this question. What can we learn about faith from Rahab? An unlikely person in an unlikely time 
having powerful faith. What lessons can we learn? First, we'll turn to Joshua 2, chapter, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So if you have your Bible, you can open up there. You can read it on the screen. If you're online, it'll be on your screen. The word of the Lord. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent Rahab, saying, sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all of the land. So a prostitute is going to give us lessons on faith. Rahab was a woman of ill repute. She was most likely the head of the house of prostitution. That's why she's mentioned, and that's why they went to her place. She was most likely living that life because she was in charge of these other prostitutes and was not just a prostitute herself. The city of Jericho was a rough and dangerous city, but she found a living and found a way to live. What's encouraging as we look at this story is that her faith began to shift into the one true God. Many commentators say that before the spies even came, she had faith in God and her life was shifting and changing. And that's why she says what she says to the spies, as we will see. But Rahab, a prostitute, can teach us about faith. I believe she gives us five lessons on faith. And the first lesson we can see is that faith is courageous, not cowardly. Faith is courageous, not cowardly. Joshua 2, verses 4 through 7, the story continues. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So here is a woman who already has strikes against her as a prostitute, as a woman, a non-Israelite. And she sees the importance of saving these spies. In a moment, we'll see why. We'll see her faith. But the lesson that we see in this moment is that she was courageous and not cowardly. What she was doing was extremely dangerous for her, for her household, and for her business. They could literally destroy every single part of her life, murder every single person in her family, and then finally murder her. These spies were on a military mission. They were spying out Jericho. How best can we take this city? How can we overcome, overwhelm with our military might? Where are the weaknesses? This is the purpose they were there. That is why the king sent these men to find the spies. But here we see the courage of Rahab, one who was willing to lay it all out on the line 
to save these men, and it's because of her faith. She had a deep faith in the Lord. And I'll explain to you in a moment why I say that. But when we look at courageous faith, when we see that courageous faith is not cowardly, but there is deep boldness, deep courage into it, we will see that courageous faith is dangerous. Courageous faith is dangerous. This was not only dangerous for Rahab, but her hiding the spies and letting them go and share their intel with the Israelites was dangerous for Jericho. And so when we step into courageous faith, it's not just dangerous for us. It's dangerous for our enemy. And that's why we need to step into bold, courageous faith. Too often we play it safe. We sit back and we, we sit comfortably. But courageous faith is what empowered the spirit-filled believers to begin the church. The church, the hope of the world. Because these men and women were living a dangerous, courageous faith. They didn't care what would happen to them. They cared about the hope of the gospel. They cared about spreading the truth of Jesus. Their courageous faith was dangerous, not just for them, but to the territory of the enemy. She had courageous faith. Rahab was not cowardly. She was courageous, bold, and we should model that in our lives. Rahab's faith gives us a second lesson, and the second lesson we see is that faith perceives the road God has paved. Faith perceives the road that God has paved. Here we see the, the rest of the story, verses 8 through 14. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. She sees the road ahead. Rahab recognized all of these things that God did for the Israelites. She began to build a faith that recognized that this has to be the one true God. All these gods that we've worshipped in Jericho can't match or measure the power of the God of Israelites. This must be the Lord. She confesses his power. She confesses the Lord's overpowering nature over an entire city. 
She confesses that the men in the city are afraid, that they're fearful. But her, instead of living into fear, chose faith instead. She chose faith instead. She saw the road ahead. She knew that the Lord was going to conquer Jericho. She says as much to them, saying, listen, I see what God is going to do. I know that we're next. I trust that this is going to happen. I believe in it so much that I need you to promise that you'll protect me. When you come and take over this city, when that happens, I need you to promise by your Lord a binding covenant that you will save me and my household. She saw what was about to happen. And she uses the Hebrew word where it says to melt. It's masas, and that Hebrew word means to lose all courage. The men in the city had lost all courage. They had no faith in themselves. They had no faith in their ability to push away the Israelites. They had no thought that they could win. They knew that they were done because of what God had done. And again, Rahab, instead of choosing fear, chose to live into faith. And it was a courageous faith, not a cowardly faith. It was a faith that said, I'm going to go forward in this and I'm going to believe and put all of my eggs in the basket of the Lord. I don't need to put my, my eggs in the basket of the king or the city or their military might, only in the Lord. And the Lord responded in kind. Rahab recognized that God's direction includes God's provision. Not only was God going to direct them to take over the city of Jericho, but he was going to provide a win. She prophetically spoke the truth of how Jericho would fall to the Israelites because of the Lord. She didn't say to the Israelites, oh, wow, you know, we saw all the military might. We saw the power that you had. She said, no, we saw how the Lord did this. She put her hope in the Lord, not even in Israel. She was putting her hope and her faith in the Lord, knowing that God would bring the provision with his direction. How often do we live this type of courageous faith? How often are we living dangerously in this world by faith? Or, as most likely, how often are we living in fear instead of faith? How often do we sit back and do nothing rather than doing something? I'm guilty, just as any of you are, of sitting back a little bit too much. But here we see the faith of a prostitute woman speaking against our own fear, giving us lessons on faith. Lessons on faith. Where God guides, he will provide. I know it's kind of a cheesy statement, but it's a true one. If God is guiding you and directing you, and you're listening, and you're honing in on what he has for you, he will provide. You might not see the provision. You might not understand how he will provide, but he will. We must walk in faith. The third lesson that she gives us in this passage is that faith is confident. Faith is confident. We see her confident faith being brought up not just in the book of Joshua, but in Hebrews and James as well. 
You can read on the screen or open up to Hebrews eleven thirty one. This is the book of faith, Hebrews 11. It says this, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And then James 2, 25. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? There are only two women mentioned in the hall of faith. One of them is Sarah, who believed that God would provide Isaac, Abraham's wife, and the other is Rahab. Rahab's faith must be important then. And, you know, you notice the author of Hebrews calls her Rahab the prostitute to let you know that even someone in the slums had deep faith. Someone who should never have the faith that she had. That we would never expect a person like that to ever be capable of having a deep, courageous faith. Yet, she did. She had a deep and courageous faith. She was confident in her faith. She was confident in what the Lord was going to do. How often do we walk in that confidence? How often do we look at the scripture and say, yes, that's true. It's not just for me to know it's true. It's for me to live it out as true. Too often we have made church an intellectual thing. And I know that there's a person who lectures every week. It's a a 30-minute lecture that comes about with preaching. But if a preacher is not doing the right thing by encouraging you to live your life, not just learn it in your brain, then there's a half of the part that's missing. My job is to encourage you to live out the faith. Yes, to inform you what does the Bible say, to help it make a little bit more sense, to grasp the the background and what did it say, what is it saying for today, all of that. But it should be to encourage you to live differently. And so when you come to hear what the Lord is saying through His Word, ask the Holy Spirit, how can I take this and live differently? I don't think that many believers today live with confident faith, shaky faith. It's wandering faith. It's doubting faith. And doubt's not bad. But if doubt doesn't lead us to a deeper faith, we're doubting wrong. We can ask questions, and God will show himself every time. Sometimes we doubt the word of the Lord in order to make excuses for our sin, rather than true doubt where it leads us to answer the question of what's really true. Because God will show himself every time the truth. He's not afraid of those questions. But allow those questions to lead you to a deeper, confident faith. Faith in the Lord means we make plans based on his promises. We make plans based on his promises. We'll see that Jericho did fall, that Rahab was saved that these Israelite spies, they had faith. They reported back and said, we can take this place. God has already given us this land. We know because we heard the faith of this one woman sharing with us what God had already done, preparing the people to fall. 
her faith encouraged us to put a, a plan together based on the promise of the Lord that came from an unlikely person at an unlikely time in an unlikely place. They had faith and believed and had faith that built their plan off of God's promises. Rahab was telling the Israelites, trust in your Lord and plan on winning. It's not something that you'd normally hear from someone from a different country or a different city. Yeah, plan on beating us. It's not like, well, maybe this happens with the Steelers where they just walk up and say, hey, plan on beating us today. You know, but that's not something that normally happens because they believe in themselves. But these guys in Jericho did not believe that they could win. Faith in the Lord means we pl make plans based on his promises. The fourth lesson we see is that courageous faith shows no discrimination. Shows no discrimination. Warren Wiersbe said, It's remarkable how God, in his grace, uses people we might think could never become his servants. She would not be someone that you would think could give us faith lessons. Yet faith does not show discrimination. No matter where you came from, no matter what you've done, you can be saved by the grace of our King. And you can have confident, courageous faith knowing that he will go before you, knowing that he will provide for you. Faith does not show any discrimination. I think often we look at people who are in these lives like Rahab and we make snap judgments. Oh, their life's over. There's no hope for them. Look at what they're doing. My goodness, they could never turn around. But when we live in that hopeless way, we never share faith with them because we don't believe that they could ever respond. Shame on us for that. Because how clean and good were you before you came to Jesus? You weren't at all. You needed the blood of Christ just as much as someone like Rahab needed the blood of Christ. One commentator said, I'm convinced that God can use Rahab's story to show that he can work through anyone who is available to him. Are you available to him? Because he will use you. He will use you. He will use you. Rahab was not just someone who was in Joshua and encouraged her, us with her faith there. Rahab was not just mentioned in Hebrews and not just mentioned in James, but we find out in the lineage of Jesus Christ, Rahab shows up. Rahab shows up in the lineage of Jesus. Her blood flowed into the lineage of Christ. The, the blood that Christ shed for us had ties back to a prostitute named Rahab. That is astounding. That is astounding. If God would use a woman like that, a person like that, with that background, to be a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ, man, what can he do with you? What can he do with me? 
What could he do with your neighbor who you think has no hope of knowing Jesus? Or your coworker, or your family member? What could he do? Walk in courageous faith because it shows no discrimination. A pastor once said, we need to stress that God sees potential in every single one of us and he wants to make the most of that potential. Are you by faith allowing God to make the most of your potential? Are you allowing God to make the most of your potential? It doesn't matter if you're 10 or 90. You have potential to serve the king with courageous faith. Are you living into the potential that you have, that God wants to tap into you by the power of the Holy Spirit? Someone we wouldn't have expected to have the ability to live at high potential became a family member of Jesus Christ. The fifth lesson that we see is that faith births faith. Faith births faith. If you look at Joshua 2.24, the men, as they are reporting this story, this faith-filled promise to the Israelite, uh, the Israelite leaders, Joshua included, they say, truly, truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. As Rahab shared that they were melted, they lost their courage, masas. They said, we believe the Lord. We believe the faith of this woman, Rahab. Strange as it might be, she birthed faith within us. Strange as it might be, her faith became contagious. And we have to tell you that the Lord is going to do it. It's a little bit different than when they were going into the land many more years ago, 40 years past, when only Joshua and Caleb said we can do it. And the other 10 were like, no, we're, we're going to do it. These guys came and said, we're going to do it. Not, not only can we do it, but it's going to happen because the Lord has already gone before us. The Lord has already set it up. The Lord has put the chess pieces in place where we can just kill the king. It's done. So let's go. I wouldn't be surprised if all the leaders grabbed their stuff and went that moment because they were encouraged by the faith of these spies that was encouraged by the faith of Rahab herself. Do you have a faith that is contagious when people talk to you do they have the sense of your deep faith do they see your deep faith your courageous faith living out into your life because the point of the scriptures is not just to know what God says it's to live what he calls us to live that's a huge difference because when we are people who are faith-filled, courageous, not cowardly, when we are people who have a faith that leans into and makes plans on the promises of God, that faith becomes contagious. It's like a match that then lights a candle, and you can use that candle to keep lighting other things. We're going to do that when we sing Silent Night here on our Christmas Eve Eve service, which is really coming up quickly. It becomes contagious. And all of a sudden, you see one candle, two candles, three candles, and then the entire sanctuary is lit with candles because fire catches fire on other things. That's why it's dangerous. We should be dangerous. We should be contagious with our faith. Our courageous faith should be just as contagious as Rahab's because we can be the stories of faith that inspire others. 
we can be the stories of faith that inspire others. And faith is not discriminatory. It doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, what your background is, how much money you do or don't have, what schooling you did or didn't have, doesn't matter. We can be the stories of faith that inspire others. Now I'm going to pray and uh, I want to share with you uh, something else. I know that I've talked a lot with communion and preaching, but as I was uh, laying awake in bed last night, I couldn't sleep. I just kept praying silently to myself so I wouldn't wake up Hillary. And I believe that God was downloading something for me to share with us as a church. And I'm leaning into the courage that I'm preaching about. Because it's not an easy thing to discuss. It's not something I normally discuss. But I feel like it's necessary for us to talk about it this morning. So let me pray. And then just give me five to eight more minutes of your time. Father, we thank you for the courageous faith of Rahab that inspires us. I pray that we'll be people of courage, that our faith will be courageous and contagious. In your name, amen. I have my notes here, so I might read them a little bit more because this is an important topic. This is an election week. And we recognize the importance of voting. But I want to say this. Voting is not enough. I'm not here to tell you who to vote for, and I never will. That's the Holy Spirit's job, not mine. But I will tell you that voting is not enough. The American church, by and large, has believed a very prevalent lie. The lie is that if we vote the right candidate in, everything will go well. We vote, and we sit back. It's easy to vote. It's easy to write Facebook posts or repost a certain article, but it's much harder to live out what we believe. Jesus didn't say to the disciples, go vote and stay seated. He said, go and make disciples in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And this is a continual process. It's as you are going, make disciples. Voting is important, but it's not our hope. Capitol Hill is not the hope of the world. The churches, the churches. We often shout for a senator and neglect sharing the Savior. And here's where it gets hard. We, the church, are to blame for much of what happens in our world because we have for too long abdicated our role in this world to those in political power. We invested time, talent, and treasure into specific candidates and neglected the work of the church. We fight for the lives of the unborn as we should. We know that when Mary visited Elizabeth, we see this in Luke 1, 39 through 45, Jesus was just a small fetus. The more fully grown babe in Elizabeth's belly who is John, the Baptist, leapt. He sensed the life of the Messiah even as a tiny fetus. We should fight for not just the unborn, however, but the born. If we truly believed in life, we would have action, not just words. We're called to care for orphans and widows, James 1.27. As church leadership, 
We are seeking ways, the elders and myself, to help the Christian organization known as the Orphan Care Alliance. And you'll see in your bulletin, next, next Sunday is Stand Sunday, to learn more about orphans in our area. Adopting a child or helping with time, talent, and treasure those who do adopt is action to fight for life. In fact, there is a way that if you were to truly desire to defund Planned Parenthood, which I know many of you have said, a very trusted person said to me that you don't need a candidate. You adopt or help someone else adopt because the funds that are allocated for Planned Parenthood can be used and swept away for the payment of adoptions. Many don't know that, but it's true. We could do that. We don't need a candidate to do that. We, the church, can do that. If one person, one family in every church around America adopted a kid, the system would almost be completely wiped out. Every kid would have a home. The early church were the only people willing to care for the cast-out Roman children who were put on the sacrificed altar to gods, who were thrown on stairs, who were left, who were walked away from, put in the dumpsters in the gutter. The only people in Rome who were willing to take care of those children, adopt them, care for them, and raise them in the Lord was the church. They found them and cared for them. And many of those babies became believers. The majority of orphanages, at least in the West, find their genesis in the church. These early Christians changed their trajectory of thousands of orphans. This is also how we are to help the widows and the poor. Many may dislike the welfare system. It's true. But it is where it is because the church stopped caring for the poor. They stopped. The government can't live kingdom-minded because they do not have the Holy Spirit. We abdicated our role, so we can't complain at the government. We should look at ourselves and say, why did we abdicate so much? Micah 6.8 states that we should also fight for the lives of those living who are in the middle of injustice. Too often we vote and sit back and get angry, lose hope, and brood if our candidate loses. We're filled with hope when our candidate wins and feel we've done our duty. Our duty's not done. No senator, no governor, no president can bring the hope of the gospel and put feet to the scriptures like the church. We may have done our civic duty, which we should, but our kingdom duty is not done. This week, as you vote, Ask the Spirit's guidance and see your vote not just as a civic responsibility but as a covenant to live out what you believe. Not with angry words or picketing signs or Facebook rants but rather action. Action that cares for the lives of orphans, widows, the poor, the unborn. Actions that are kingdom oriented. Action not words. Vote, yes. But remember, it's easy to vote, but voting is not enough. Let's pray.
Father, you are good. And you have given us the Holy Spirit to not just know how to vote, but how to live that which we believe. Father, I'm convicted by this. I pray that we are as well so that we can live with courageous, contagious faith that changes the face of this earth. May we live as the hope of the world for the glory of our King. In your name, amen.